Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? This is Gaskly Stamos from Gearworks.com and the E2KG Network podcasting channel here on YouTube. We are back with another episode of What's Your Issue? Your People's Weekly Comic Book Reviews podcast. Here with me, as always, is my intrepid co-host, Mr. Stephen Laura. How you doing, Stephen? I'm doing great. Great. We are here. It's Turkey Week, Thanksgiving Week. We contemplated, yes. we thought... <laughs> considered whether or not we should lay off the week like a lot of other podcasts are doing but we know that you read your comics last week those comics had shipped the shipping week of 14 november 2018 and that you will be picking up another stack out there this week and we thought you know they need a little commentary to go in between that comic book new comic book day sandwich so let's go ahead and give it to them and not back up our listeners and viewers because we know that you're out there we see the metrics we're looking at the analytics and we know that amazingly enough faster than we expected there are people pulling down this show and listening to it each week and even wandering by the youtube channel and giving it a gander so that's good so we want to keep those water pumps pumping water and so we're going to talk comic books tonight we're going to lead off the review segment i'm pretty excited about this one with Stephen talking about star wars dr afra number 26 Stephen, take it away okay i'll take it away uh so yeah, this is this um the writer of the book is Simon Spur and the artist is is Emilio Lasso. And this story is coming is continuing the last issue. It's when uh Dr. Afra and Triple Zero are having a bomb on their heads from Dr. Quinnis Azaran. I think that's how you say his last name, but yeah, they 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 still have the bomb on their heads, and they decided to try to find a doctor who could remove the the bomb that's attached to both heads, and they find the doctor, but um, after they find a doctor, the doctor pretends that he had removed the bombs from their heads. And Dotafar runs ahead of Triple Zero, and Triple Zero ends up killing the doctor. And Dotafar finds out that the, that the doctor had tricked them. He actually worked with the other doctor, um, Dr. Cornelius. And he, he um, apparently, he didn't remove the bombs. He actually made the bombs um set a quicker um bomb time so now the i think the they they have like seven hours to figure out how to get the bombs out of their heads also it didn't blow up so yeah it's it was pretty interesting i did like it was i did really enjoy this book i gave it a 8.5 and i I did enjoy the um, the conversations that Triple Zero and Dot um Dot the Offer had and they were arguing with each other because apparently uh one thing that um that Triple Zero's obsessed with, he's obsessed with killing and he doesn't know when to stop that obsession with killing someone and he even mentioned that he wants to kill a doctor afterwards, and she 
argue with him not to kill the doctor throughout the whole time. And in the end, he ends up killing the doctor. And <laughs> it's just, I just like that uh, they were able to um, talk about people that we found out that Triple Zero does care about BT, which is like R2D2 Joy. Joy is like an evil version. And Dr. Cornelius had killed him. And Dr. Offer knows that he actually cares about that robot, even though Triple Zero likes to deny that he cares about anybody. So that's interesting to see and to see a human side from a droid. That was pretty interesting. So yeah, it was a nice element for the characters to talk to each other and get to know each other more, even though they don't like each other. I really like that dynamic. And Dar was really was still good and I still enjoyed it. So so you give this this book an eight point oh I personally gave this book a six point five and I want to talk a little oh. bit about <laughs> I, want to, I want to talk a little bit about my problems with it. So now now Kieran Gillen was doing this book, wasn't he? Yeah, but they changed the writer because uh Kerry Gillen had to do Star Wars. Right. Um Yeah. So yeah, I feel like the book and, and Gillen was the one who was so he did he was he did the first Darth Vader volume right and then yes and then Doctor Afra came out of that he did this for a little while and then took over the Star Wars series so the, I, there's a couple problems I have with this so first of all I thought the art was very sharp um, particularly uh, the colors uh, I was really impressed by uh, yeah and the it, colors are interesting too and, and this is Rochelle Rosenberg who to me is kind of um, the I don't. I feel like it might be sliding her a little bit. I I I think of her in my head as like the new Jordy Belair, where it seems like half the Marvel books are being done by Jordy Belair. Well, there was a time when almost all the Marvel books were being done by Jordy Belair, yeah. and now a large part of them. You see Rochelle Rosenberg doing a large chunk of them. Uh, but beautiful colors. I especially like on the first page how uh, she has a, a four-panel uh, green, 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 red. Um, which just really, uh, I mean, red is a beautiful intermix with green. It's Christmas colors. So, uh, but uh, I love when, when BT like lights the guy up with his electrostatic shock. That uh, that all of a sudden the kind of the green haze uh, goes to a very sharp red. It's a really nice effect. Um, uh, very good art overall, as you mentioned by uh, by Laiso. Um, but uh, I had some problems with the writing here. Number one. Um, Dr. Afra seems particularly frightened of triple zero to the point where she's like stammering through a lot of her sentences. And, and I, and I don't like that. I feel like that's a discredit to her character that it makes her seem overly like she can't even put a sentence together in front of, of this. Well, dr- she was like that with Darth Vader. And I guess at the same time, she's scared of, I guess, she she has the same fear of Darth Vader with Triple Zero, but I but I feel like we've seen her around Triple Zero before, where she hasn't been like this. This feels like a regression from you know the the way she normally approaches anybody who's a threat to her, other other than Vader. And I and I feel like with Vader, if she's if you're going to do okay, he's like the one, right? But mm-hmm. it just I don't know. It just it felt like it. Um, was overly marginalizing of of how her character would be in, in these moments. Um, like I like I like I don't feel like that's the 
character. Um, and so, and so this, in, in addition to just making it like kind of, kind of hard to read. Right. Um, so, uh, there's some parts, there's some points in the art here where, uh, where, uh, where Laiso does do like this scene where like the, the, the penal ship or whatever is, is kind of been destroyed and there's debris floating that it's hard to tell exactly what's going on in that scene. Um, and so I felt like the storytelling wasn't quite as tight as I would have liked. Uh, but, but overall that was my main problem with it was just it, Dr. Afra felt particularly out of character. Um, Overall, I still I still liked it, um, but I, but I just felt like those were a couple of things that detracted from uh, my complete enjoyment of the of the comic. I remember this one time that Triple Zero did torture her so he could get the information of his memories. Back right then, right, right, right. I'm not sure that torture actually scared that, the crap that out of her. stuck with her. Yeah, a little almost PTSD like. Yeah, that's what I probably think is that's what it is. Okay. Yeah, and I and I could see that if he's if 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 she's someone he almost like an abusive relationship, right? Where yeah, when that person is in the presence of their abuser, right? That they that you know all their confidence kind of melts away. Yeah, and and in that case, maybe a little a tiny bit of exposition to to convey that would have helped. But I don't know. It is what it is. Uh, like I said, it's, okay. six point five for me is not a horrible book. That's still a solid professionally done comic. Um, it's just one that didn't particularly, you know, that's. This this is not and it's and it's almost a shame, right? Like this is not in this is and this is of course was a drop in issue for me. This is not an issue that would have made me on board with the book and put it in my recurring pull list. Whereas I have read issues along with you that you've read of Doctor Afra in the past, and I was like, ah oh, man, I kind of feel bad that this isn't in my pull list. But it's fine. Okay. <laughs> uh, so uh, Miss Marvel number thirty six, uh, published by Marvel, subtitled Silk Road. Uh, story by G. Willow Wilson, artist, uh, art by Nico Leone, and color by Ian Herring. Um, so, <laughs> so this issue opens up with Kamala Khan and Bruno on the roof and on the roof of a building, which is kind of a classic Marvel setup. Um, but you know, like the page opens and they're on the roof. The camera closes in, and I'm like. Seriously, we're doing this again? Like we just had six issues of yes, her time travel again. Like I'm like like we've resolved this, right? We've we've I was uh, I was this is a book that literally made me angry to yes, read this I week. I agree. I didn't like I I was pretty pissed off reading this one too. Right. Uh, so uh, da, 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 da. so we're still sorting out the relationship between Kamala Khan and Bruno, who recently returned from Wakanda. Uh, after a seemingly forever long misadventure with the Shocker, possibly the biggest bum of a villain in the Marvel Universe, we go in for a close-up on the roof of a building in New York to have a quiet moment between these two characters who have already spent every issue since the oversized annual or whatever it was, dreamily half-talking about their feelings for each other. And then to top it all off, we then cut to what can only be an imaginary flashback scene, meaning one of the characters is imagining it because they don't have any knowledge of these events as facts. Um, there weren't any nods to this as far as I know, and maybe I'm wrong. There may have been like one panel that, that showed this past history um, in the Shocker arc where Bruno was could see scenes with Kamala in them through time, but that arc lasted too long, and now now I don't remember it. If you had followed up with these flashback scenes immediately after that, that would have been a thing. Um, 
So on art, there's something a bit more likable about the Nico Leon Ian Herring artwork this month on this book because we're going to talk about Nico Leon again in a way that is not pleasing <laughs> to me. Um, there, there is something a bit more, a touch more evolved and mature in this issue, though. Uh, I've not been taking a shine to the art over the last few issues because I feel like there are times when it veers too far in the direction of cartoony anime. And I feel like Miss Marvel's story is more mature than that treatment conveys. First of all, the cover on this is beautiful. Um, uh, friend of the show, Joseph Malazzi, a uh, friend of the network, Mr. Joseph Malazzi, uh, uh, creator and showrunner and producer on uh, the television series Dark Matter, uh, had this in on his blog as one of the most beautiful covers in comics this week. Um, but, uh, but of course, it's not Leon and Herring who did that cover. It's a different artist. So, uh, But also, let me say that I'm a little bit more synced up on Herring's colors. Um, you know, overall, you know, when I talk about this art not quite, you know, not quite falling in my wheelhouse, um, Herring's colors I'm generally okay with. It's really Leon's pencil treatment that I'm not so on board with. There is some neat panel work in here with several pages of angled panels as insets and, uh, and overlays on larger, more germane panels, and that did help keep things moving along. Uh, while I've previously given Herring much praise for doing so much with a very constrained color palette, after a lot of issues of this, it's starting to wear a bit thin. But in this, at least with the flashback, uh, you know, you know, the creative team lifted whatever embargo they apparently have on the use of any color outside the brown and green spectrum, um, except for Kamala's costume. So it was nice, you know, they, they mixed in some blues and some reds in this issue that weren't just on Kamala's costume. And it was nice to get to see Herring play with those colors. Uh, on the story side, the real detractor in this issue is, again, more so the story. I felt like this issue was entirely superfluous and unnecessary. The flashback scene was extremely unnecessary. Uh, the only real storytelling panels that mattered were the opening and closing panels set in the now, and I could even peel that back to just the closing panels. For those panels alone, this book keeps its head above water and is saved from being dropped from my recurring polls list. Outside of those pages, I just didn't feel like this story was interesting, complex, or nuanced. This creative team has done that level of work, so they've done, they've done, uh, you know, creative, nuanced, sophisticated work. Um, but it just feels like it's not happening right now. At no other time have I felt like this comic is as much a teen soap opera as it has been since the annual or anniversary issue of this summer. I'm not sure if we need a new creative team or if the current team just needs a major shot in the arm. I'm going to come back to that as well. Uh, I scored this book a 7.0 out of 10. In summary, I really feel like Miss Marvel is a very special character in the Marvel Universe, and she deserves a really special story. This last arc has not been that, outside of the reveal of how she embiggens. While the last, while the last few panels in this issue save this book from being dropped, it is on the watch list for me to fall away from it. While there eventually needs to be a tale of how Kamala deals with and handles love, I'm not certain that we need that tale right now, and I'm not certain that the lack of chemistry that seems to exist between her and Bruno, as I feel it being conveyed, really elicits the desired emotion that such an arc should. We need to move on and come back to this topic at a time when the creative team can do a better job with it. Miss Marvel is not a common character, and she needs more than a common teenage angst love story. Um, now, I don't read all of like the solicits and the inside trades and all the news and stuff, because uh, generally I don't want to know until like I just open up an issue and see it. Um, I am curious as to whether or not uh, we are about to get a creative team change, because apparently... Uh, G. Willow Wilson, who I'm very surprised is not exclusive to Marvel. I would have thought with Kamala Khan being like the hottest new IP at Marvel from the last few years, 
um, that the writer on that would have been exclusive. Uh, she apparently is not, uh, and she is going to be um, taking over as the writer on DC's Wonder Woman. And I'm I'm a little I'm, I'm thinking that I read it. I don't like it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> go ahead. But... And I'm wondering. I it, Wonder Woman feels like a like Wonder Woman feels like a comic that you can't you can't be doing Wonder Woman in DC and and Miss Marvel in uh, in Marvel. Uh, workload wise, because um, of course I'm sure DC will want her on, you know, events and and you know other things that involve, you know, and pitching in with the Justice League desk uh, when they spin special issues. So I'm curious to see if we're going to get another a new creative team or some shuffling of staff uh, on Miss Marvel. Um, did you happen to read this issue, Stephen? Yeah, I I hated it. I think I want to <laughs> drop Miss Marvel after this. Okay, so we're pretty much. I give it a five. It just okay. <laughs> it just didn't make sense to me because it's just weird. They talk about ancestry past, and it's like, oh, they talk about Miss Marvel's ancestors, and they talk about her her best friends like ancestors and Bruno's ancestors. It's like, no, that's not possible. Right? You can't. You, your friends cannot meet your friends' ancestors. It just doesn't work. That's not how. <laughs> things work and it's just it's just weird because they're are they supposed to be in the middle east and there's like it bothered me like there's a white character there and there's a black character there it, it in felt the middle like, east and it's like i don't know if that's possible it, in it, the ancient middle in the ancient times of middle east that there was actually whites and blacks and middle easterns all cool with each other yeah, like they had some great friendship for a very long time. Well, of course, I it's say this. Just... I, I say this on the heel of the uh, the "It's Another Thing" movies crew having just finished watching or, or going back and revisiting uh, Kevin Costner's Robin Hood, and so it, it, so I guess I overlaid uh, my recency with that. On top of this, it felt like it was like a caravan. Um, well, they said it was the Silk Road, right? So they so they were in they were in China um, or or somewhere in the. Um, in the con in the conate because uh, because this was this would have been the time of Kublai Khan um, uh, or, or 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 his an, or his or his ancestor Kublai Khan or his uh, descendant um, because Dave Petchy who uh, who's my partner on on the gifted podcast on the it's another thing podcast he and I used to watch Marco Polo and so Marco Polo takes place in the time of the Silk Road in China so they were apparently going through there and then you I think you would have had mixed caravans because you would have had you know you would have had a lot of companies operating out of Europe who would have been trying to truck goods in and out of China but then would have also been picking up all sorts of hangers on along the way and you had these weird eclectic parties um, kind of assembled uh, conducting trade so so that didn't so much throw me off but I like and, and to fill it out you know so they um, and I should have mentioned it at the top of the thing I always forget unless I specifically write it down this is a spoilery reviews show we will be talking about the comics we will be revealing details about the comics we will not be shying away from much about the comics because we have to talk about those things in order to do reviews. So mm-hmm. um, if you haven't read your comics, you should have by now. It's Monday night. We deliberately record this late so that we try to give everybody a chance to read their comics before they pop up to listen to the podcast. Um, but to fill out some of the details, so uh, so they, they're talking about, oh, well, maybe, you know, maybe our ancestors, blah, blah, blah. And then they do this, like, fade to flashback. And they're, like, like Stephen said, they're, you know, they're on the Silk Road. Uh, in in the Mongolian Empire, uh, you know, escorting some ladies, of which Kamala is one, 
um, on a trade caravan, and then they run across apparently what is an inhuman uh, fighting a Skrull. Uh, yeah. And then and then uh, and then Bruno, who's or, or Bruno's ancestors supposedly, I guess, uh, and and this other guy that they're with, this other knight that they're with, charge in to try and break up the fight. So I don't know. It's I think I just didn't need this. And I mean, I I'm pretty sure and we. Yeah, go ahead. I didn't. <laughs> it doesn't make. They didn't need to have all her friends' ancestors in there. It was just a love story between her great. Her great 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 grandmother and her great 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 grandfather. Do right. you think to put those two characters in a in a scene where they will fall in love with each other? Because it doesn't make sense that all your friends' ancestors gonna know your friends' ancestors. It's not possible, I think. Yeah. It's it's totally a filler issue. Like it doesn't do anything to advance the relationship <laughs> between her and Bruno. It doesn't do anything to advance her character. And I'm like, we had a full I'm pretty certain I would have to go back and look, but I'm just I feel like, as I was reading, I'm like, I'm pretty sure we got a full six-issue arc of her in that shocker mess. And I'm like, we got to go, we're going we're gonna to do a seventh issue of this now, instead of just bleed straight into the new arc? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. So I, actually, I don't want, <laughs> I don't want Bruno to be going out with Miss Marvel, because he said he didn't have feelings for her, and now all of a sudden he does. And yeah. It just, like, irritates me. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, let's, let's move on. Um, the comic, not not us, but we, but we are going to move yeah. on. So, uh, third <laughs> comic in the review rundown segment uh, this week is Fantastic Four number three. So, uh, writer Dan Slott, uh, and here we go. Artist Sarah Pacelli and Nico Leon. Um, now, I don't they don't list exactly what their duty split was on this, so I don't know if Nico did certain pages or panels. Um, or if one did pencils and one did inks, um, there is a color artist listed, a Marte, Gar- uh, a Marte, Marte Gracia, and letters by Joe Caramagna. Uh, cover artist Isad Ribic, and this is a gorgeous cover. Isad, to me, is kind of like, he's like my, like when you see an, Al- like when I see an Alex Ross cover, like you can clearly tell that that's an Alex Ross cover, and that's a comic that I'm like, you should get that just for the cover. Um, Esad is like the number two, right? Like when I see an Esad Ribic color now, I feel like I can A, recognize it, and B, I'm like, that's that's a thing you need to get. So uh, gorgeous cover. I love it. Um, but uh, so this is the follow-up to the uh, getting back together of the band issue. At the end of issue number two, Reed had called in uh, every single member of the Fantastic Four uh, that had ever uh, existed. Uh, and so you get a big splash page, uh, family reunion. The thing is subtitled Family Reunion. Uh, you get a big splash page. And this comic is a lot about Reed just outthinking uh, I can't remember the character's, uh, the bad person's name. Um, trying to find it in here. He calls her out by name, I think, at the beginning. Uh, but, you know, he, he's the, the, the premise is that, uh, that he, she has been talking to Reed for a very long time, and when Reed had gotten close, uh, to, uh, the Griever, um, is her name, uh, that uh, when Reed was getting close to figuring out her secret or finding a solution or whatever in his younger years, and this is apparently the panel, he has a Fantastic Four shirt on, so this is apparently after um, they had gone through the transformation uh, that she started kind of whispering in his ear and causing him, you know, insecurities and things that, to, to kind of get him off the... Uh, 
the trail. Uh, I guess what the main thing I love about this book is number one, it's just Reed Richards just outthinking a big bad evil in the cosmos, uh, which is awesome. That's like why you love having Reed Richards, and, and we've gone so long without having that in the Marvel universe. Um, so there's that. The other thing is that it's it's very Justice League like. Uh, this is the, exactly the type of thing that kind of Snyder is doing on Justice League, um, where you have this menagerie of characters. And therefore, it's just a big sandbox and you get to play. So there's the female thing in here, uh, who I don't really know or understand who she is. Um, but they call Wolverine back. Uh, by the way, absolutely complete disregard for any sense of continuity in this. Like, you know, completely disregard the fact that Peter Parker should be involved in Spider-Geddon. Uh, that Medu- I don't even know if Medusa is available anymore with the death of the Inhumans, uh, or that she would have been particularly pissed had she been pulled away from that crisis. Uh, you get Herbie the robot showing up in here. Um, you, you know, the thing that we're going to talk about a lot is kind of how Dan Slott writes it. Uh, and, uh, and one of the things, one of the uh, bits that's going on in here is uh, apparently, and I don't know if this happened in a cartoon or something, but there was a point where Iceman was part of the Fantastic Four. Um, yeah, that was weird. I didn't understand that. Yeah, I think, I mean, based on the dialogue, I assume that it happens in something. It, the 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 inside joke is that it's something that happened not quite exactly within Marvel continuity, um, and, and somehow the Human Torch and Iceman uh, are aware of, of that kind of almost in a fourth wall kind of way. And so the, the two of them bicker are constantly bickering back and forth about how Bobby shouldn't be there uh, because when he was a member of the fantastic four, it wasn't in continuity. So I thought that that was pretty funny. Uh, you get crystal uh, in here um, and you get some pretty uh, significant size threats. Uh, Power man. I think Jessica Jones is in here, but you don't really, she doesn't ever really has any talking parts. Um, I love the future foundation cause I actually, uh, read, uh, power pack, uh, when I was a kid, um, it actually debuted like the, like the number one issue came out when I was uh, reading comics as a kid. And so the future foundation, uh, is kind of, uh, an extension of that. Um, when Franklin Richards, uh, you know, became part of power pack for a while. Uh, there's a great scene in here where, uh, Franklin is having a loss of confidence and the Fantastic Four, you know, are all trying to talk to him and explain to him, like, you know, you don't have to be perfect. We're with you. You can do this, blah, blah, blah. Spider-Man shows up. Detroit says, hey, can I have a shot at talking to him? And tries to starts to give him the with great power comes great responsibility speech. And Ben Grimm just interrupts him and grabs him by the back of his costume and, like, lifts him away. Uh, it's a it's a it's. Yeah, I did like that. Yeah. So, I'm the Uncle Ben here. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. So what's so great about this issue, it is very much uh, a callback issue and very much a revisiting of all the things in the Marvel Universe that we've all come to fall in love with and that are fun. Um, this is It's truly a... Um, a, uh, a, uh, a a revisitation of what of, of you know and a nod towards the Fantastic Four truly being the first family of Marvel. Um, and then there's a point, there's a cutaway scene where uh, I forget what the daughter's name is, but where the daughter where the fan, where Reed and Sue's daughter uh, has been detached to go off and do some mission on her own. Um, and I think Torch is trying to fly to get to her to to do backup. 
um, and uh, and 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 inside a uh, inside a spaceship where you know the rest of the members of the battle can't see, uh, the Hulk has also shown up. Um, who it's it seems like he shouldn't be there either, uh, and he he mentions to the girl he's like, don't tell anyone that I was here. Just tell them that you did this. You get the credit. So it's weird in that it seems like this is Intelligent Hulk from Immortal Hulk. However, he's also trying to be on the lam, and he doesn't want anybody to know that he's there. Um, so uh, so I thought that that was pretty interesting as well. Uh, but also, again, a nice nod uh, to the Hulk having been a member of the Fantastic Four. Story-wise, this has all the things in it. There's a little bit of the dad humor that Dan Slott gets accused of, of of writing with and there are some jokes here that felt like and I am a dad and there are some jokes in here and I'm like oof man that's that's rough man if you were doing stand up you might be getting booed off the stage right now with a couple of those um, but uh, but still overall uh, fairly I mean a pretty solid almost great comic the the one knock i have is and again it's hard for me to track down who does what there are some interesting artistic choices that i didn't particularly uh uh align with a bit uh the thing is drawn very kind of fat um he's not i mean he's he's just really bulky uh and and maybe he shouldn't look you know like superman with uh with rock's plate about him but he just looks like kind of like the blob uh, with rocky plates, and I didn't feel like that was an artistic choice that I would have necessarily done. In fact, there are a lot of characters. It seems like characters are either really slim or really chunky, um, with with very you know no nuance in between. And granted, now this is a comic where it's a challenge for an artist, and it's maybe why Nico Leone got brought in is because you've got like thirty plus past members of the Fantastic yeah. Four, <laughs> and you've got to pull that off drawing all of them. I get it, um, you know, but I just felt like there were some really glaring choices uh, that that I that like were just a little jarring. Uh, I go back to talk about the Dan Slott humor. Uh, there's a point where uh, Ben, in order to get Franklin Richards pumped up, goes to punch the Griever and you know yells out, "It's clobbering time." That I don't count as a dad joke because I'm like, that's classic Ben Grimm, and you need to do that when you're getting the band back together. So that I was fine with. There were a few others um, that I wasn't crazy about. Uh, but yeah, there's just, like I said, uh, the Human Torch um, comes off two different ways. Um, he's kind of like the classic Human Torch, not with the not with the hatch lines, vertical lines through, but just as a classic, like, you know, you know, man on fire kind of thing. But there, then there's a version where he's drawn where he looks a little bit more like the craggy Iceman Bobby Drake kind of character, except drenched in fire. And I'm like, I don't know if that's a choice I would have made. Um, you know, the way Reed Richards' face is drawn, where it's like this severely gaunt, um, but very detailed uh, face. I don't, yeah, it's just, there's just some off-putting art choices in here. And since I've been fine with Sarah Pacelli's art up until now, I can only think that it's, it has something to do with with Leon being injected into the mixture, um, but you know. But again, that's that's kind of where I screwed up with it. So at the end of the day, I gave this issue a seven point five. Uh, it was just a bit shy of grayness. Um, drop the dad jokes, clean up the art just a tad, and you've got an eight or above book. Uh, Stephen, did you read this at all? 
Yeah, I did. I gave it a seven point five as okay. well because the art was was pretty bad and it kind of affected the story a, a lot. Okay. And uh, it was like there's a lot. I understand why there was a lot of characters, but the art wasn't didn't express it well. And <laughs> and I forgot to tell you that Medusa did survive Death of the Humans, so it was okay for her to be there. Well, I knew she had survived, but it, it again the jarring part of this is, but you know what? I mean, because Death of the Humans number five and the wrap up was just what last week. Yeah. So again, just it it feels like that maybe is a time that you don't want to be ripped away from like you know yeah. the remaining surviving. <laughs> you know, but again, this kind of dispenses with any notion of continuity, and it's fine. It's a it's a fun comic. It's a big adventure romp. Um, you yeah. know, good good combat scenes. Uh, so. Um, so overall, pretty solid, you know, and again, a 7.5 on a recurring book and particularly one that I'm on, um, I, again, what I, what I really want most out of a book that's on my recurring pull list is I want 7.5s. I want a book to steadily deliver me 7.0s and 7.5s and then give me that upswell eight to eight to 8.5 book, you know, you know, once an arc and then maybe once a year land a 9.0 because what I don't want is books. I feel like what. Books that land 9.0s all the time, like, like I just don't know how you maintain that. And then when you when you fall off of that into like what's what for the rest of the comic book industry would be like the above average norm, then everybody goes that issue was horrible. And I'm like, no, that that issue is like like head and shoulders above and equivalent with like what Scott Snyder is doing or or whatever, you know, but yeah. you you just got used to like these 9.0 issues, you know. So this book is perfectly fine with me. De- definitely, you know, again, this is on my recurring pull list. I'm not getting off this book anytime soon over this issue. I look forward to I guess they're going to be back on Earth uh in the Earth dimension or whatever. Uh next issue, uh I guess it ends with a hug. Yeah, I think this is it. Yeah. yeah. So uh, looking forward to getting back to uh, getting the Fantastic Four back in the Baxter Building it will be uh, fairly interesting. Yeah. So, Stephen, talk to me about uh, Scooby Apocalypse number thirty-one. All right. Scooby Apocalypse is by Keith Griffin, and the artist is um, Patrick Offaly. So, yeah, this this um. This issue is coming with uh, like Daphne and Scrappy Doo finds out that Fred is alive, and they're trying to fight him off. And he has like, but Fred he tries to like tell Daphne to stop fighting him because he's not he he has a conscience and he he's not like the other monsters where he where the other monsters have no conscious thought. They just I guess feral, but he's not feral, and he can he actually th- have a thoughts of his own and try to like tell her that he's still the same Fred, and um, he tells the he tells Daphne that we gotta team up with each other and and make this world a better place, and and he he knows what Velma was trying, Velma and her brothers are trying to do. And Daphne still doesn't believe him, and she thinks he's just, he's just a monster, and he's just continuing to fight each other, and it just goes real crazy. And uh, there's also some 
interaction with Velma and and Shaggy because uh, Velma is getting stressed out because they're two people that like her secretaries. She told them to have a mind of their own, like that. You know, she doesn't have to tell them everything. But now they actually do have a mind of their own, and she's getting annoyed with that. And it's just funny how Shaggy reminds her, "This is what you wanted, so you can't complain." And she realizes that, yeah, she can't complain. This is what she wanted from them. And I thought that was pretty funny. And another thing I did find out is that uh, the the person that Scrappy do Scrappy do is working with, he's like talking on the like uh on a intercom, like a uh, heads yeah on his headset is is um one of Velma's brothers that worked with her on the monster project, and that brother is trying to revive another brother that he's like Donald Trump personality type of character. And yeah, now that character is being revived and apparently that those two, the two brothers are also working with Freddie and uh, apparently Freddie and Scrappy do have no idea. They were working for the same person and they're making Fred and Scrappy do definitely fight each other on purpose. So it's a pretty interesting things going on. There's a lot of plot twists and a lot of conflict. And I like how how it's meshing all together and is brings a very pretty interesting um issue for me. So I give this an eight point five. Go ahead. I oh, no, 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 that's good. I was just going to tell you whenever you're ready, you can because uh, I don't have any questions on that. Um, I guess I guess I oh. dropped off that series at, with issue, maybe just at issue 29, and just haven't gone back to it. But it uh, it was warming up to be something good. So it sounds like you're saying uh, when they do find Fred, he is not just a complete mindless zombie. He is something. Yeah, that. he okay. actually has a mind. Okay, he's still the same Fred, I think. <laughs> All right. All right, very cool. Uh, Daughters of the Dragon, number one. All right. So, yeah. And I also did like the art in that book, too. It's been the same. It hasn't changed. Um, but, yeah, Daughters of the Dragon is... Um, the writer is Jed McKay, and the artist is Trevor Foreman. And... This is all part of the Marvel Digital original series. So it came out, it's out digitally right now, but it's not out on print yet. But uh, this um, this issue talks about uh, there's a there's a news report with calling um, there's a news report about children missing in a like some type of desert. And Colin Wing went to go investigate where these kids have been missing. And she finds a group of kids. And the group of kids are telling, they're telling Colin Wing the same thing. They're saying that a whole bunch of kids are being captured and they're missing. And they never, like, their parents are looking for them. And so they're, they're friends of those, friends of those kids that are missing. And they decide to help. And Colony ends up finding the person that is kidnapping the kids. And it's like some old man that wants to like he's like he wants to be become a young person again. So he's like 
draining all their youth so he could actually become young again. And Colin Wing ends up fighting fighting him and she ends up like getting in like intoxicated with some psychedelic um drug and she just can't see things clear um, correctly and she calls Missy Knight in order to help her and Missy Knight ends up arriving and they defeat the villain and the issue ends with that there's another villain behind all this kidnapping like the villain that they fought was wasn't the main villain there's a the villain work that villain was working for somebody else and that person was in the restaurant this is in the same restaurant as Colin Wing and uh, Missy Knight but she had no idea that she was there they had no idea that she was there as well so I guess we'll find out the next issue what happens but yeah I really did enjoy this and the art the I didn't like the art in the like in the beginning of the issue, but once it got to like the psychedelic, like when Colin Wing was shot with some type of drug and she was high of her mind, the artist was able to draw that really well and I it changed my opinion of the artist. And I noticed that the artist does that part really well. I think the artist I think Chavo Foreman knows how to draw when when a person's real high and can't see straight. Like I like the colors in the in the book as well. It was really interesting. All right, man. Very cool. Uh, I, uh, I give this an eight point Okay. Score. Okay. All right. Cool. All right now, are you are you able to hear me right now? Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Something was off your headset. I yeah. I was I wasn't sure if I missed it. The power button versus the mute button. So. Um, so the final book in the review segment uh, this week was Plastic Man number six. Now I'm going to go through my shtick, but Stephen, I definitely need you to fill this out because you've been you read the whole miniseries, right? Yeah, I did, yeah. but I didn't enjoy it. Okay, so uh, Plastic Man is a book. Um. Uh. Subtitled To the Moon and Back, this is uh, issue number six of a six-part miniseries, which I didn't realize this, this that when I uh, grabbed this as my ad hoc pick from Steven's read list uh, and threw it on mine. Uh, writer Gail Simone, artist by Adriana Mello, colorist Kelly Fitzpatrick, letters by Simon Boland. Um, so this has always been a weird thing to me, and I meant to go spelunk and look this up. I've never understood... The, the reason for uh, Plastic Man to exist in the DC universe. I've never understood why uh, you would have both him and the Elongated Man. That uh, seems highly unnecessary. Um, now, the weird thing is, is Plastic Man uh, differs um, from the Elongated Man, who can actually just stretch out parts of his body, kind of a lot like Mr. Fantastic, whereas Plastic Man can actually take on the appearance of, like, another human being, um, which goes along with his background as a con artist or grifter, uh, which is an archaic term which he uses to uh, apply to himself in this comic. But I like it because it's period, uh, and so that's neat. Um yeah, I'm, I'm reading up a little bit on him just really quick on Wikipedia, which I meant to do earlier. So apparently he was an, an acquisition hero, uh, originally being published in Quality Comics, and then later being acquired 
by uh, DC. Um, so, uh, at any rate, um, this comic is a lot about, as you would expect, wrapping up the miniseries. But it's specifically kind of, uh, from a character perspective, it's him resolving uh, who he is uh who he was as a person, as a man, as a parent, um, versus who he is as Plastic Man, and kind of settling that out and 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 setting a new status quo for who he's going to be from this point forward. Um, so, uh, so as I mentioned, this you know he he refers to himself as a grifter. Uh, so one of the things is he exhibits. Uh, so talk about story and art. Art here is fine. It's not stylistically. Uh, what I personally like, however, I felt tonally it was right in sync with kind of what Plastic Man is, because Plastic Man is probably the closest thing that the DC Universe has to a Deadpool, um, just in terms of he's he's always cracking wise, uh, he's a, a very comedic character, uh, he's written in similar voice to the way the cartoon, the 1980s cartoon was, where he was just a completely silly um individual and they've arrayed they've amassed a pretty silly set of villains against him as well uh some of the off-putting things in the issue and why it didn't ring entirely true to me is uh i couldn't quite nail down the uh how smart he is and uh reconciling that with um some things he appeared to not be knowledgeable about but like there's a point where he displays a, a very thorough um, knowledge and awareness of the human brain and exactly, you know, in, when he's shrunken down, like, you know, things he could poke uh, <coughs> in one of the villains' brains to make them go catatonic, um, things like that. Uh, and uh, and he also, I think he displayed an advanced knowledge of, like, electronics and computers uh, at one point um, and just figuring out how to mold his own features into somebody else's face. Um, is a slightly intellectual activity, you know, as he's trying to nail down the exact um, replica uh, of, of who that person is. Uh, some weird uh, villains that were assembled in here. This is not a parade of chumps because he's got Dr. Uh, Dr. I, uh, I think it's Hugo in the comics, Hugo Strange there. Um, he's got a mind control alien who I think I'm supposed to know, but I can't remember. Uh, not the cycle, like okay, right, yeah, right. Um, and you've got uh, I can't remember what her name is, Bump, Bumblebee or whatever. Um, yeah, it's Queen Bee. Yeah. Queen Bee, right, as one of the villains yeah. in here. So, so not a uh, not a set of villains to be trifled with uh, in this comic. Um, but overall, it was a, it was a pretty good read. I was tempted to rate it actually a little bit higher, um, but I, for me, I felt like it didn't quite stick the landing that I was hoping for. Um, and again, you know, part of the problem is, uh, you know, he jarringly goes back and forth between, um, you know, different scenes and like things that he's thinking of versus the way things are in the present and now. Um, at the end of the day, I gave this book a 7.0 out of 10. Um, you know, it was fine for me reading it. It's not necessarily something that I would go back to uh, whenever his next series reboots. Um, but I'm, you know, fine having a little more knowledge of who he is, you know, the next time I see him on a page of the Justice League. So, Stephen, did you read this uh, this issue? Yeah, I gave it a 6.5 because 
I don't like uh, the humor is really off-putting, and yeah. I don't think Gail Simone could do humor, to be honest. Yeah, and, and very uh, antiquated humor, right? So it's it's humor, and it's written as if it's like 1970s or 1980s kind of humor. Yeah, and I don't know, but uh, I don't like how Gail Simone's using this slang with wang, because I found out the word means penis, like it's a slang for penis, and she did reference that in the first issue, but it's like Plastic Man uses it thinking that it means wrong, and it's like every time he uses it, it's just it doesn't make the sentence doesn't make sense, and the joke becomes very off-putting. Like it just makes jokes fall flat. Right. Yeah. No. Absolutely. No and doubt. it seems like to me, Gail someone was trying to say relevant to what kids are into today, especially with the uh, with the child not not knowing what what sex he is, and it just got annoying. Right. With that right. stuff. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, anything else that you want to talk about this issue? Because I'm pretty much done with it. No, I just didn't like the humor, and I. I tried to enjoy it. There were sometimes it was funny and sometimes it wasn't. It's just it kept going back and forth. I didn't like some issues. I didn't I did like some issues. I didn't know what to decide for the series, to be honest. Well, and that was my problem that was my problem with this issue. I think this issue itself kind of goes back and forth between, you know, points of humor and it's it's like it's there's chunks of it that aren't written written in a comedic voice, and then chunks of it that are, and you have this sense of whimsy where kind of everything's funny the whole time. Um, yeah, is, or at least that's what they want out of it, but but that's not how it's actually put together. Um, so yeah, I had some problems kind of uh, choking this one down as and well. And I noticed it didn't finish the story because you see the female villain that was there, right. and yeah, clearly setting it up though for either an ongoing or for that story to be told like. It might not even yeah. be told, so that's the point. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> I doubt Plastic Man is a very selling, high-selling comic. No, right, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, so that wraps up our review segment. Let's turn and burn through the rest of the show. Uh, the best thing that I read this week for me was uh, Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, number 312. So this is issue number two, um... After, uh, I'm trying to, having a hard time thinking, um, after Chip Zdarsky left the book, uh, who incidentally I saw announced on Twitter that he will now be writing Daredevil. Very excited to see that because I feel like Chip Zdarsky is a, is a writer who is um, hitting this inflection point of his career where he's doing something different than uh, what he is known for, I think. Um, and, and often, as is often the case when that happens, that is resulting in a, a really uh, nice thing um, that, uh, that lots of people should go experience. So in this uh, issue, this is the continued uh, fight slash running away from Moreland. Um, the most dangerous of the inheritors. This obviously integrates with, you know, Spider Geddon um, and all the other Spider stuff that's going on. Uh, so, uh, written by uh, Sean Ryan, uh, pencils and inks by Juan Frigeri, a colorist Jason Keith, and letters by uh, Travis Lanham. Uh, overall, I felt like this was another great issue, uh, and you know, I. I 
chalked up uh, Zdarsky's final issue as being one of the best comics that I'd read the whole year. This isn't quite that, uh, and this um, this uh, this creative team seems to be hyper focusing on writing a big action adventure title, which I'm fine with. Um, it is not kind of dripping with a lot of the emotional stuff that uh, Zdarsky was writing on his way out the door. Uh, it is beautifully colored. There's all sorts of shading in, in uh, Central Park. Um, and uh, in some other places, um, I meant to, I can't remember what it was. There was one comic that I was going to call out for, uh, and maybe it was on Titans. Um, some incredibly detailed art on that as well. This isn't quite as detailed, but I actually like more so what it's doing with the colors and it's kind of some of the abstractions of like the backdrops, like uh, like the trees um, and cars and some other things. You can kind of see this bokeh effect. Uh, when uh, when the camera draws in for us uh, for portrait work, um, we get a lot of Miles Morales, and I, I mean I can't tell you how much I love that black and red costume of his. Um, and you get him trying to help Peter out, but at the end, Peter, uh, what Peter tries to do is uh, fake. Um, is uh, I may be reading that wrong. Uh, it, he. he He's chased kind of into the zoo, um, and he's setting Moreland up. There's uh, several ways of them, like, trying to slow Moreland down by blowing him up um, and some other very destructive ways. And at the end of the day, um, it's all a play to give them time to get to the tranquilizer room because, like I said, they're trapped in the zoo uh, so that they can get a hold of, I don't know, 85 tons of tranquilizer or something like that. Spidey mentions to Miles how he needs him to leave. There's this kind of passing of the baton uh, page, which I really liked where, you know, Spidey says, you know, I'm in no shape to lead anyone miles, but, but you are. Um, and again, this is this element of the entire Marvel universe pushing on miles Morales to become a leader, um, which I just don't, I, and I think it's kind of interesting to see that like every writer who's writing miles, uh, sees him shy away from taking that up, uh, which to me is similar to what Peter was like, uh, in earlier elements of his career. Um, but at any rate, uh, the art on this was really awesome. Uh, might arguably have been the best art that I saw this week. Um, but uh, but I'm glad that I kept this on my list, that I didn't fall off uh, just because uh, Zdarsky left. Um, and it would be an interesting world to see, uh, you know, me being able to enjoy what Zdarsky does on Daredevil, but also being pretty pleased with the creative team who came in behind him and his team, uh, and took this book over. So did you happen to read this, Peter, uh, Stephen? Yeah, I did. And I did enjoy it a lot because okay. I did like the emotional moments with Miles and and Peter. Because I liked how Peter said that I got to sacrifice myself in order to, for him to survive. And he has to go and right. I thought that was interesting, but it also kind of contradicts with Moz wants to do in the Spider-Geddon issue where he doesn't want um, the Inheritors to get killed. Because it's weird that Peter wants to kill Moreland. Well, I didn't and, I didn't take it that Peter wants to kill him. He's, he's specifically looking oh, to... Oh, it seemed like to me he wanted to kill him. <laughs> well, I think, yeah. I think Peter, unfortunately, having faced him these three times, knows, you know, hey, if I, if I blow up a gas station with him in it, it's going to put a hurt on him, but I know that it's not going to kill him. So I, I just felt like that's what we were seeing a lot of. Oh, okay. So uh, what was your best thing that you read this week, Stephen? My best thing is Mr. Miracle, number 12, which is... Uh final issue of the series it's is written by tom king and mitch and the artist is mitch 
Gerald's. I think that's how I'm saying it. So I'm I'm very curious to hear about this because I I I would say over the last two shipping weeks at least maybe three that you have not been a fan of what Tom King has been writing. Yes, I'm not really much of a Tom King fan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh man, I'm just not into the hype of Tom King. I do like Tom King's Omega Man and Vision. Okay, right. right. But I did not like his bat. I don't like his Batman. Okay. And I didn't like Mr. Miracle until issue six. Okay. That's when I started actually liking it. And it's been, it was pretty, it started, it started actually being good after issue six. And I really did enjoy it. And um, the conclusion of this story is really great. I think it's honestly another, it's, I think it was in a list, it adds to another list to one of his greatest writing books he's written. Okay. Is up there with Vision and Mega Man, I think. Ooh, wow. Okay. And I think Batman is the weakest link of his writing, to be honest. But uh, I did like this because um, it tells the story of of um, Mr. Miracle. He's getting ready to have a second child. And he's, they go to see the... Um, they go to the hospital and see the 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 monogram and to see they find out they have a daughter and during the issue you find out that uh there's a plot twist saying that the the that Mr. Miracle was killed by Darkseid and he's living in a fake world. Like the Dark Side put him into this fake world that he doesn't want to escape. So I thought that was an interesting plot twist, and so all this family that he's having with with Big Barter having two two children, and it's just kind of crazy because uh, Mr. Miracle doesn't want to escape because he doesn't want to lose his family that that he doesn't have, and he feels the family feels real to him, but they're not actually real, and he has like he's stuck in that dilemma, and he doesn't escape. I mean that's. He knows he could, but he doesn't want to. That's what. That's what the crazy story is, and I thought that that was pretty interesting. I like that that Tom King actually challenged the character into doing the opposite of what he always does. <laughs> so yeah, I did like that. It put a put a really interesting story for me. Oh, your mic is on mute. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, sorry. Okay. Yep. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Um, sorry, my contacts are starting to uh, fog up. It's been a uh, long day. Uh, okay. So honorable mentions. Uh, really quick. The only one that I had honorable mentions is our segment of the show where we talk about it. Um, anything other than the best thing we read this week that we scored with an 8.0 or above, including uh, comics that we may have talked through already in the review segment. Um, so for me, uh, the, the, uh, there was only, uh, um, uh, there was only Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man number three, 12 above an 8.0 with one other exception, exception, uh, Titans number 29 also crested, uh, that summit. So, uh, what about you, Stephen? Any honorable mentions this week? Oh, I forgot to say that I give Miss Miracle a ten. 
Okay. Um, well. Yeah. So, yeah. The 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 honorable mentions is is um is Catwoman number five, Electric Warriors number one, Supergirl number twenty four, uh, Superman number number five, and Hit Girl number ten. Okay, very cool, and uh, let's quickly run down our polls for next week so the audience can start to get a sense of what we may be talking about next episode. Uh, I feel like there's some weird stuff going on. It looks like maybe books that may have shipped uh, the final week of the month or something uh, got pulled back to compensate for the Thanksgiving break because I see another issue of Immortal Hulk um, in this poll, and... uh, we should have already gotten one of those this month, I'm pretty sure. But uh, not to belabor the point, uh, what I will be reading next week <coughs> excuse me, is uh, Batman number 59, Immortal Hulk number 9, Justice League number 12, Punisher number 4, Spider-Geddon number 4, excuse me, Star Wars number 57, uh, and Catalyst Prime Summit number 10 by Lion Forge Comics. Additionally, uh, from Steven's pull list, I will also be reading Pearl number four and cover number three. Steven, what are you going to be reading this week? I'm going to be reading uh, uh, Aquaman number 42, cover number three, Pearl number four, Justice League Dark number five, Quantum and Woody number 12, Injustice 2, Annual number two, and Doctor Strange number eight. And I'm also going to be picking up Justice League and Spider-Gaddon okay. and Star Wars. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's All right. it. All right. Very cool. Well, listen up, everybody. We have definitely run late. Uh, we've got nothing else for you. If you have any questions, uh, what I would recommend is that you hit us up on our uh, Twitter channel, at uh, E2KG Network. Is it Network? I always get um, confused between what we're doing on the... Uh, podcasting channel versus uh yeah i think it is e2 it is network e2kj network <laughs> yeah sorry yes e2kg network um of course that's what we are on youtube uh each yeah e2kg network all one word on twitter uh hit us up on there if you have questions uh that you want us to answer or anything else that you would like us any comics like it's fully fine if you want to pitch us some comics that we should check out, uh, even if it's just for a week, as I keep mentioning, these these drop-ins that we do periodically on show, on, uh, on episodes that we're, on issues that we're not collecting. Um, so, with nothing further else to say, at least that can be said intelligibly without me uh, fumble farkling through it, once again, my name has been Agastically Stamus from Gearworks.com and the E2KG Network podcasting channel on YouTube, here with my co-host, Mr. Stephen Laura, with issue uh, issue ha with episode number seven of the what's your issue podcast uh showcasing the books that shipped the shipping week of 14 november 2018 we'll be back next week to talk about the books that have shipped this week and through a bunch of those that you just heard us run down in our pull list uh so uh thanks again for joining in be back here next week talk to you guys soon until then take care stay safe Read the comics that and, you love. Oh, that was have a happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah stick that in there, too. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, everybody. We're out of here. All right.